you're a parent of any age child, but you're also, you're a middle school student or high school student. We just launched Players Box last Tuesday. We'd love to have you join. It's not too late for you to join. We actually give you the video of last week's teaching if you missed that. We have two other trainings coming up this year, uh, this school year in the winter and spring. And in between, we have what we call Open Mind Gym, where every Tuesday we gather and just have community around you know, something that happened in arts, academics, athletics that week uh, in popular culture, in the world at large, and we look at it and we say, what are the implications? And we would love for you to be a part of that. Um, I, you know, the, the, this, this whole pitch for volunteerism is so big uh, because of children, right? It's everything, uh, we always say this, that the main thing that's going on here three times a weekend is for the kids. We just find something for you to do while they're here, okay? Because really, that's where the life change is happening. And, um, you know, people like Gary and Pam have been dear, dear Southbrook friends of mine for so long. And, and Gary, as many of you know, was the superintendent of Centerville Schools. And when you see him carrying a child, <laughs> every, I mean... They've been doing this for so long, and it's just, to me, inspiring, right, that they just have invested, and they've been Jesus to so many kids. Uh, I, I, I try to be as candid as I can. Whenever you're candid, that risks too much information, right? And, um, you know, Sherry and I came here in January, the last weekend of January, 1992, was our first weekend where we started Southbrook, and and, uh, and I, I really felt the Lord's call 30 years. I really felt, come hell or high water, 30 years, it was my call. And when I got through this summer, I, I be, you know, the, the, many of you will not maybe understand this, but when you're in my position for almost 28 years, you are very aware that you could get in the way of the organization. I'm very aware of that. Trust me, guys in my position, they stay too long. They're more at risk for that. And so it's something I deal with every day. I'm working on a, you know, leadership development every day and people, you know, et cetera. And then when I got through this summer, I was pretty much leaning into, I think I need to, you know, January of 2022 will be 30 years and and 12.30 p.m. on the last weekend, uh, the last Sunday in January 2022 would be my last, you know, deal. That was what I was thinking this, this year. And then in the Oregon, Oregon district on August 4th, something happened. And for me, it just emboldened my resolve to create a place that would capture, and I say this with all due respect to his parents and his family, that would just utterly capture the heart of a little five-year-old Connor Betts. And so infuse him with the love of God that it would redirect his destiny. And what August 4th did to me is it just, it just reinvigorated building a place over the long term for me that equips kids to deal with a sometimes cruel and heartless world and then they become a part of making this a less cruel and less heartless world. 
And I just want to ask those of you, you know, we have school teachers who volunteer at Southbrook on the weekends. Now, think about that for a minute. They're around little sinners all week long. <laughs> and then they willingly come in and they say, I want to be Jesus. Now, is there anyone here who's with me to build a place that in coming years is a prevailing influence on children to show the love of God and it so gets in their hearts that it won't let go? Anybody with me on that? We can do that, friends. We can do that. And I am resolved to give the last quarter of my life to this kind of a movement. You know, we're in this final, if you haven't been with us, we're in a final week of a series we're calling Road Warriors, which is off the old quote that you can prepare the road for the child, which is the, what Karen Fancher termed lawnmower parenting, right? Just clear all whole obstacles out of little junior's way. Or... The better alternative is you can prepare the child for the road, the road that only God knows, right? Only God knows the road. And so we've been talking about how to raise tough and tender, gritty and graceful people. How do we build character over behavior? Because God doesn't look at our behavior as much as he looks at our character. It's character what matters. And, and so this is the final week of that. And, I, and I've told you a lot of what I would have done differently. And I wish I would have known. And, and, and I've tried to be as candid as I could about I feel mistakes that I know I made as a father. Because of parenting is daunting, isn't it? If those of you who are not daunted by the possibility of parental mistakes you're not living in reality right if you're not it's just a it's an intimidating it is the most challenging endeavor a human being will take on I believe and sometimes you know people like I do a series on generosity and giving and the people say, oh boy that's that's got to be tough to talk about money you know and I'll say no because generosity is the gift that keeps on giving I mean I, I, it's not hard for me to talk about it because it'll set you free it really will. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. Or I'll do a series on sex and they'll, oh boy, you know, it must be really hard to talk about sex. No. It's the gift that keeps on giving, you know. I, you know, I, I'm married to a wonderful woman, you know. I, so too much information there. Uh, this is why Sherry doesn't really like to hear me talk. She never knows what's going to come out of my mouth. But, uh, you, know, you know, but this, she, we were, she and I were just talking between services and I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad when this one's over. I, I, I love talking about this, but it's scary, right? It's scary. It, it takes a community to raise children. And one of the things that we've looked at is Hebrews 12 and how God fathers us. Then we're, we're taking that and, and, the, and the curriculum of training that God puts all of us through that has adversity included in it to create tough and tender people but one thing you might have missed was, I want you to see this verse in verse 10 in the middle of that section we've been looking at, and in the New Living Translation, it puts it this way, our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. Did you catch that? Like, like, parents, am I, is this resonating with any of you? Like, doing the best they knew how, which by the way, once you become a parent, you learn things five minutes too late. Have you ever noticed that? He's like, if I'd have known that five minutes ago. But doing the best they knew how. And, you know, I, I think this is so true. As I look back now, one of the most pivotal conversations I ever had in my life was on the back porch with my dad when I was in my 30s. And he told me things about his upbringing. And it made me understand him better. And he did the best he knew how. 
right? And I don't know any parent who says, oh, I've got a plan for ruining my child that I think is going to work, right? I mean, I look forward to the thousands of dollars in therapy this is going to cost me someday, but I think that I'm going to be able to totally screw up my children. Nobody does that. Everybody is doing the best they know how. But what's the problem is we default to one of two things or both. How we were raised or we default to how culture is doing it. How everyone else is doing it. I tell you, for instance, youth sports, there's this vortex of competitiveness that you'll get sucked into and you're doing it just the way everybody else is doing it and you didn't realize it. I got sucked into that competitive vortex. Anybody ever felt the vortex? The road to nowhere? (laughs) You know, that is competitive youth sport? I mean, it happens all the time. And so in this series... We've been talking about the fact that lawnmower parenting is the result of us trying too hard. I got to the Road Warrior Big Wheel competition all three times, and all three times that, 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 that there was this skidding, that when you try too hard, you skid, and that there's this trying too hard in parenting that really throws us off course. It's, it's well-meaning. It's mixed up. Uh, with love and grace, it's mixed with love and fear, but it's too much. And Karen Fancher is the professor at Duquesne University who last year coined the phrase lawnmower parenting. She wrote these words last year at about this time. It happened again this week, several times in fact. I'm a professor at a university and my office is located directly across from the elevators because I maintain a literal open door policy for my students Visitors often mistake me for the department secretary as I am the first person they see when the elevator doors open. At this time of year, the same scenario happens repeatedly. I'm concentrating on something, but out of the corner of my eye, I see the elevator doors slide open, and it is a teenage girl and a middle-aged mom, presumably her mother. The parent walks into my office with the girl trailing sheepishly behind The mother says, my daughter will be starting here in the fall. We've got a problem with her class schedule. I try to make eye contact and address the girl as I politely give them directions to the Office of Student Services down the hall, but it's the mother who apologizes for the interruption. They leave my office, mom leading the way with the class schedule in her hand. Do you see the problem here? She writes, The child has been accepted into a major university and is weeks away from starting a difficult area of study, but it's her parent who is doing all of the talking to get get the problem corrected. While she says nothing and appears to be dragged along against her will. And she says this is what has resulted in her coining the phrase lawnmower or now sometimes bulldozer parenting or my favorite one, curling parenting, right? And Karen Fancher writes this, in an era now where we're seeing unprecedented anxiety issues with college students, we are seeing that this kind of parental behavior has long-lasting detrimental effects on a child. First, she becomes poorly equipped to deal with routine growing and learning experiences. This can include everything from asking for directions and dealing with an annoying roommate to much broader skills like communicating with superiors, negotiating for something she wants, saying no to someone, 
who wants what they shouldn't ask for, and coping with disappointment and failure. She said she doesn't develop a sense of personal motivation or drive since she only knows how to follow the path that the lawnmower parent has already mowed for her. In our player's box, we call this the pie of ownership. If as a parent, if you don't decrease your ownership of the pie of their process, they will eventually resent you, and, but they're ill-equipped to deal with the ownership of that project themselves because it's never been their pie. <laughs> it's been yours, and they've been dabbling in it. She can't make a decision, big or small, without the guidance of others. She constantly receives the message that she isn't good enough to do this herself and that this is perhaps the greatest detriment of lawnmower parenting, what psychologists call learned helplessness. You see, the task of a parent is to make himself or herself increasingly obsolete. That really is. It gets real easy when your student becomes a teenager to make yourself obsolete. But anyhow, the, 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 the child is in little league stress when they're, when they're in kindergarten, first grade, third grade, sixth grade. But those little league stressors equip them for big league stress that will happen when they're an adult. And everybody goes through it. It's painful to watch your child go through little league rejection. But that's preparing them for the fact that someday they're going to face big league rejection. And they'll never understand that if they're not allowed to experience the pain of little league rejection. I read this week about a mom in Missouri who sued her son's high school because he did not make the varsity soccer team. And that would be tragic, or that would be humorous, except for the fact, the tragic fact that this is just happening everywhere. Felicity Huffman getting her sentencing for the college admission scandal this week. I mean, it's all over the place. It's well-intentioned, friends, but it is damaging. The most precious gift we give to our children is love. But love wants what is best for a person long-term, not short-term. And this is the crux of the matter when it comes to to these issues and why we are seeing such a vast issue of anxiety from kindergarten through college. It is because of this issue. Now, we, most of us, as we go through parenting, if you envision the idea of a backpack, we want to fill our kids with our, their lives with valuable things. And the default mechanism in this culture is if you envision equipping a kid, filling their backpack, right? And we, in this culture, we want to fill their backpack with the trophies of accomplishment. So as they go through life, they have the confidence that comes from having those trophies in their backpack. Those are not insignificant. They are. But here's the problem in our culture right now. It is not the trophies that build a child's character which the character is the true person. Behavior is the manifestation of that. But character is the true person. It's the stories behind the trophies that matter. What lawnmower parenting does is it intercepts, it paves the way and makes those trophies as easy to garner as possible. And thus, aborting the child's process of growth. Actually, inhibiting that growth. And there's an interesting imagery that's used in Scripture that references this, that if you've been around Southbrook very long, our way of saying this 
is through backpacks, boulders, and boundaries. And I want to use that same imagery right now to tell you parents that this creates a picture of your role and the, the type person that we're all trying to develop as a community. So look at these words. Our imagery of backpacks, boulders, and boundaries comes from a, a dichotomy in Galatians 6. And it says in verse 2, carry each other's burdens. And the word there for burdens is baros, which means boulder. A boulder is the picture of something that you can't carry on your own. It's divorce, disease, death. Uh, dysfunction. These are things that we can't carry on our own. We need, we need a community to help us carry those. None of us is designed to carry those things on our own. And he says, this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. People ask you sometimes, can I be a Christian and never go to church? No, you can't. Why? Because to be a follower of Jesus is to fulfill his law, so to speak, of love one another, bear each other's burdens. That's what it means, right? That's what it means. So if anyone thinks there's something when they're nothing, they deceive themselves, each one should test their own actions. See if you're ready to be a burden bearer, is, is what that's saying. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. Now this is interesting because this is the word fortion, which means a backpack. So he says, to be a follower of Jesus means to be in a community where we mutually help each other carry boulders but your boundary is your, and my boundary is you're responsible for the functioning life skills that are in your backpack. I'm not responsible for you having basic functioning skills. And what's so critical about child development is that's the time in which a lot of these backpacks are filled. What we're doing in our culture today is we're, we're emphasizing that the AT, ACT score is the most important thing that goes into my child's backpack, right? No, it's not. Is it important? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's important. It is so far down the list of important things, though. It's not the trophy of getting a, a 34 in your ACT score that matters. As a matter of fact, we now know this is literally true. That's not a predicator of success nearly as much as that child having the skills to be interdependent and help each other carry boulders. That that's what makes for a really functioning adult in the 21st century is someone who is gifted in toughness and tenderness. They're tough enough to deal with a sometimes cruel and heartless world, and they're tender enough to make this world less cruel and less heartless. That that is the person who's going to flourish in this century, in this decade. And, and so we are to help carry, help them create and carry their own personal responsibility and that increases as they get older. Now, one of the things that we, we, we talk about in this series is how differently some of us were raised. Okay, so there are extremes on this parenting thing. Look at this continuum. And the one extreme of lawnmower parenting is over-involvement, right? Over-involvement. But then there's what I call the weed-be-gone parents. And the weed-be-gone parents are the other extremes. Like, well, I, you know, I'm just going to let them figure it out on their own and if we have to pull some weeds, we'll pull some weeds. We'll, we'll, inter, we're inter, we'll interject ourselves when there's behavior that's so off the course that, that it needs corrected. And 
my, the generation that raised me and people like me, uh, our parents tended that way more, right? My mom never knew where I was the whole day in the summer. And uh, there were a lot of blessings from that. <laughs> but what I am suggesting, friends, is what we're seeing and why this takes a community to raise students is that there is this sweet spot in the middle, right? Where they are increasingly being released to carry their own backpack. And here's what child development researchers have found. It seems to be the gateway that once a child can do this, it opens up other areas of self-sufficiency. It's in the area of communication, which is really interesting in light of the fact that because of technology, a generation is emerging that does not know how to interpersonally communicate. Doc, uh, Professor Fancher says this. She says that the best way to deal with life starts with the ability to receive and give communication clearly and effectively. Now we underestimate this, but she puts it this way. She says, for example, as I pack, we would put it in this language, as I pack my kid's backpack, I am packing their backpack with a mixture of warm memories and life lessons and the ability to intermix those memories and lessons with other people. That that is the formula. That's how we would put it in this language, a backpack. That is the formula through which a child develops. And the question that she asks is, how do you not become a lawnmower parent? It starts with this ability to communicate and be interdependent. It starts with this ability to help others with their boulder because I filled my backpack of self-sufficiency. And here's her points. Just take a picture of these because I'm, I'm telling you, I think it's priceless. If you have an elementary student, she says, let your kid do the talking as often as possible. As early as possible. For example, let them order at restaurants. Ask for directions. Call the friend on the phone to ask for to play instead of arranging it yourself via text message. Because what we're often doing is we're intercepting the rejection of the friend saying, no, I don't want to play with you today. Ah, it'll ruin my child forever. No, it won't. What they're learning is little league rejection so they can handle big league rejection later. Right? This is, I just think this is brilliant on Professor Fancher's part. If you have high school student, she said, while there's still room for parental involvement at this age, insist that your child attempt communication on her own first. If she needs to miss a quiz and do a makeup, have her make the arrangements with the teacher and only intervene after she has made the first attempt on her own. If she has a conflict between track practice and music lessons, have her discuss the possibilities with the involved groups, then have her make the decision and deal with the potential consequences. This ability to communicate is the gateway of development. It, it, it is, seems to be the part that opens up everything else. 
She says, for kids of all ages, trust your kid to do well. And tell her repeatedly that you believe that she can make good decisions on her own. Many of you know, I mean, if you forget everything I tell you about this, this, you know, helping kids in player's box and all that, is Mike Matheny, who was the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, and I just love his book, The Matheny Manifesto, in which he said there's only three things you should say to your kid before they play, before they perform, before they take the test, and only three questions you should ask after, that's it. The, the three things you say are, play hard, have fun, I love you. And after they get done, did you play hard? Did you have fun? Do you know I love you? That's it. And he says what you're communicating that is you, you're capable. You're capable. You don't need me to analyze you. You don't need me to break down your forehand. You know, you don't need me to do that. You're capable. You're intercepting learned helplessness. She says, give her room to make mistakes, even major ones sometimes, and learn from them together. Don't panic when your good kid makes bad decisions. Good kids make bad decisions. That doesn't mean, hey, kids, go out and make bad decisions, and we'll grow in wisdom with you. That doesn't mean that. But it means don't panic. Give her opportunities to learn strength and self-confidence so she can handle future challenges with grit and grace. And this takes wisdom as you attune yourself to their journey. And you attune yourself to, you know, he is more of a tender-hearted person and, and we, need to, we need to slowly grow him in some toughness issues. Uh, she's more tough-minded, but we need to help her interpersonally grow in some tender. And you, you cannot disengage from this. You have to find that sweet spot between lawnmower and we'd be gone, right? Our project, parents, is... To prepare our students for a world that can be cruel and heartless. And as we do so, make, they make the world less cruel and less heartless. When we've done that, we've done something. And it takes a community. It takes all of us. There's not a parent here on your own who is sufficient enough to get this job done. I was thinking this week that often contrast is what communicates. And I was thinking this week that, that we really have a choice in this era, is, and that is to, we can choose to say, we're going to do our best to raise road warriors, you know, who, who are tough and tender. Or we can raise road warriors. If you're from Massachusetts, they sound the same, warriors. <laughs> it, but we can choose to do that. And, and they, they this is, the, this is the era of anxiety because we're raising road warriors. We are projecting our anxiety onto them and we're, we're teaching them helplessness, right? We're raising victims. And I just, if, if today you want to raise a road warrior, here's how to do it. I'll give you five ways to do it. Here's how to do it. First of all, allow your child to quit at the first sign of struggle. When things get hard, let them quit, right? Number two, do as much for them as possible. Totally ignore the idea that a parent is to make themselves less and less integral to the decision-making process. Ignore that. Number three, intervene for them as frequently as possible if they fail or fall into trouble. Which goes along with number four, uh, intercept all consequences of their choices. Never let them feel the cost of making decisions. Right? And then number five, 
overreact when they make mistakes. When they turn the ball over, when they strike out, when they miss their cue, when they look to the stands, make sure they see this look of horror on your face. As, as you project your anxiety for their trophies onto them, oh man, you will raise a road warrior. But if you want to raise a road warrior, here are five things you can do. Help your child push through quitting points. We're with you. We're with you. And we'll, and we'll reward you for when you don't quit. Because we think it's that important. My hero, Carol Dweck at Stanford University says, when you praise a child for their talent and their smarts, you actually make them feel dumber and less talented because of the way the child's brain is formed. But you cannot over-compliment for grit and perseverance. It's not possible. You cannot compliment and reward grit and perseverance too much because at the end of the day, that's the only talent that matters. That's it. Grit and perseverance. That's it. So... Help them push through, and when they do, reward them. Teaching them that when we don't quit in a noble process, there's a reward at the end of the day. Number two, do as little for them as possible, as soon as possible. Number three, when they fail or fall into trouble, be there for them without intercepting the consequences. Number four, celebrate imperfection done with grit and grace. This is so big. For, uh, parents, take a picture of that and pray over that one because it's huge. In an era, we're going to do a series in October on perfectionism. In an era when we just, we're just looking for these ideals in life, this one is huge. I had a friend after last service who was a basketball player. He came up to me and said, I was a big basketball player in my high school, and when my son came along, he chose basketball. First game is varsity year. He gets the tip. He goes to the wrong basket, and he missed it. And he said, we always celebrated the basket that never was. And it just became this source of just encouragement, the basket that never was, that he missed the wrong. That's awesome. Celebrate the basket that never was when that happens. Number five. Model a selfless abundance mentality behavior that says it's okay when we don't get what we want when we want it in this family. The wealthier you are, the harder that one be because you're used to getting what you want when you want it and you're modeling that for your kids. And you celebrate that we are of Christ. We have an abundance of everything we need in life. We don't need to get our way all the time. We're okay with that because this world sometimes is unfair. Let me tell you what I would do again. I can, I've told you for three weeks on what I would do differently. <clears throat> if I could do it again, my kids would tell you how many times Hebrews 10 came up. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. We, we have a DNA of the Messiah in us. And if you know my two kids, they're gritty and graceful. They, they have fallen many times and they get up. I would do that again. I would build into them James 1.12. Blessed is a person who perseveres under trial because when they've stood the test, they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That, that painful perseverance has permanent, permanent reward. 
They've heard this many times. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. That all of life comes down to fear or love. It really does. It really does. The tool of the evil one is fear. And our God is love. Perfect love drives out fear. You want to live, son? You want to live, daughter? Learn to live in love. And you will experience life. But you know the big one that Sherry and I did so much of? We were real intentional about what Romans 14 says. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. The minor thing, you know. But of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We were real cognizant of, yes, I know, we're a pastor's family and we're supposed to do all these things. (laughs) We laughed a lot about things we shouldn't laugh about. (laughs) If I had to do it over again, I would communicate to my kids through movie quotes like we always did. And we would laugh and we could finish each other's sentences and finish each other's movie quotes. If I had to do it all over again, through the tears, I would still do what we did and that was we found reasons to laugh. When Austin was little in Harvest Land, they asked a question, what do you most like when your dad does this? And he said, I love it when my dad laughs. Parenting's a scary thing, isn't it, friends? But if we surrender it to the God who is greater than all of our imperfection, he is still faithful and true. And we can trust that. And we don't have to parent in fear. So here's what we want to do the last minutes of this series is have a time where our faith community, we're all helping each other in this, we equally surrender ourselves and we lay it all down. We just lay it all down. All our fear, all our regret, all our pain. And we just lay it down. Right? And say, Heavenly Father, you are greater. And we trust you. So let's do that together for a few minutes before we go. Okay?